MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, July 3rd, 2020. Happy Independence Day weekend. Today, Ghislaine Maxwell is arrested and charged for her role in the Epstein sex trafficking conspiracy. More breaking news on the Russian bounties Trump claims are a hoax. Tammy Duckworth is proposing holding up all military raises and promotions until Lieutenant Colonel Vindman is rightfully given his promotion. The Supreme Court agrees to hear the Mueller grand jury materials case next term. Alabama students are throwing COVID parties to see if they get sick. Mary Trump is now free to publish her book and... Trump likes masks now because they make him, quote, look like the Lone Ranger. I'm your host, A.G. Greetings, everyone. What a day for old Mueller, she wrote listeners, as Ghislaine Maxwell is arrested and charged with six counts of trafficking, transporting and sexually abusing minors in the Jeffrey Epstein sex trafficking conspiracy. Time to uh, revive the Fantasy Indictment League. I'm going to be indicted. No, wait, it's going to be a Indicted! Honey, dick. Indicted! Honey. I'm going to be indicted! Hold it, they can't. It's going to be okay. Just calm down. I can't calm down. I'm going to be indicted! So I'll be talking about Maxwell's arrest, Gislaine. Life in the Gislaine. I'll be talking about her arrest with former federal prosecutor Glenn Kirshner and the proximity to this arrest to Barr and Trump trying to desperately fire the U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York where this case is, uh, Jeffrey Berman, and replace him with a former Bill Barr associate. Uh, They failed at that attempt, and Audrey Strauss took over, and she announced this indictment today. Coincidence? Mm, We'll ask Glenn Kirshner what he thinks. Also joining me today from uh, She-Ra on Netflix. She voices She-Ra on Netflix. Amy Carrera is going to join us. I love Amy Carrero. She's uh, going to do the news under the radar uh, in the B block with us. And we have more breaking news in the Russia bounty scandal that's been just, you know, um, that's been ha- breaking over the last three days. And I'll be discussing that with former senior director for counterterrorism at the National Security Council, Josh Geltzer. And finally, we have the good news block, uh, as always, with Jordan Coburn. I hope you can join us all later, Friday, um, for our live Q&A on Crowdcast. It's four Pacific time for patrons and five Pacific time for the public. And speaking of patrons, we have gotten dozens and dozens of emails from current patrons interested in how they can support other listeners who might not be able to swing a membership and and maybe sponsor them for a membership. And, you know, because of COVID-19, there's financial hardships right now. People are out of work. And that program is live now. So if you'd like to sponsor a patron, head to our website, uh, dailybeanspod.com. Scroll down and you'll see a big gray thing that says patrons sponsoring patrons. Uh, your $36 purchase, which is the annual $3 a month membership level, gives another Daily Beans listener access to our mailing list, our closed Facebook group, our patron-only live streams, and our ad-free and early episodes for a whole year. And there's two big buttons. You can sponsor a patron or get sponsored and we will you know take people who are willing to sponsor and you can buy as many sponsorships as you want and uh, we'll take that and we have a waiting list for people who want to be sponsored and it will do it on a first come first served basis so i'm really excited about this head to dailybeanspod.com and you can sponsor a patron now or be sponsored request to be put on that waiting list Uh, all right we have a lot of news to get to so let's get down to it with the hot notes hot notes 
So joining me today for the Hot Notes lead to discuss the arrest of Ghislaine or Ghislaine Maxwell is a former federal prosecutor and MSNBC legal analyst Glenn Kirshner. Glenn, thanks for speaking with me today. Hey, happy to be with you. Yeah, I wanted to bring you on because you spent so much time uh, at a U.S. attorney's office. Of course, it was D.C., this is uh, Southern District of New York. Um, but I had a few questions about this arrest. As you know, uh, last week, week and a half ago, Trump and Barr tried their damnedest to force the U.S. attorney from the Southern District of New York out. Uh, Jeffrey Berman, he refused to leave unless his deputy, Audrey Strauss, took his place because I think they were going to replace him with some lackey from, I don't know, Connecticut or something. But uh, am I nuts for thinking that that botched ouster is a factor in this case? Yeah, I guess two observations. One, I'm generally not a conspiracy theorist, except when I'm investigating, indicting, and trying conspiracy cases. There are actually lots of conspiracies out there. I also don't happen to believe in coincidences, especially coincidences like the Attorney General of the United States in you know what I would call a tornado of nefarious conduct last week, trying to fire the top prosecutor at the Southern District of New York uh, U.S. Attorney's Office, only to find that if there's a big fat indictment that is handed down by the grand jury for Jeffrey Epstein's co-conspirator, um, Ms. Maxwell. It, it seems almost impossible to believe those two things are not related. How they're related, we can speculate all day about why Bill Barr might have been sort of going through these machinations to install a lackey to get rid of Jeff Berman as the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York install a lackey so he could do to the Maxwell case what he had his lackey in the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office due to the Mike Flynn case and the Roger Stone case do enormous favors for Donald Trump, though. So it sure seems like these things are likely related. We won't know probably until um, maybe January, when we undertake massive criminal investigations of Bill Barr and Donald Trump and Mike Pompeo and everybody else mm. in Trump's orbit. But they look, they, they smell related to me. Mm. Yeah, and it's of note that in, in Berman's statement, when he was first informed via press release that he was resigning, uh, you know, he said, no, uh, I'm not going anywhere. We are vigorously pursuing cases and will continue to do so, et cetera, et cetera. And then when Audrey Strauss came on after, you know, Barr and Trump balked pretty much because of their ridiculous attempt to to oust him, that was just such a mess. And you and I discussed that at the time. Then she said, I'm going to continue. I'm going to pick up where uh, where where uh, Berman left off and I'm going to vigorously and, you know, voraciously uh, attack these these cases that we've been working on and 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 I'll, I'll be continuing them. And I think that I think personally we're seeing the fruits of that. And I think she knows there's a target on her back. And, uh, I, you know, obviously she's not going to, uh, charge, she'll charge no crime before it's time to, to, to do an old, <laughs> um, advertisement, uh, slogan there. But, uh, you know, I, you know, I can't help but think she put the pedal to the metal on this one. And then of course there was the Novartis fraud settlement 
um, you know, and Novartis had donated money to Michael Cohen's essential consulting uh, firm. And of course, they had, you know, were in it for hydroxychloroquine. So, uh, but of course, you know, what they were charged with happened from 2002 to 2011, I think. But either way, there's a lot of cases in the Southern District, particularly what I'm thinking of are those 12 redacted cases under bars, under redaction bars in Appendix D of the Mueller report that he unearthed and handed off. And I think many of those probably went to D.C. in the Southern District of New York. And it's, you know... I, I don't know if this particular case, uh, you know, came from that investigation or not. Uh, I, I would think not. But, uh, you know, we we don't know and we won't know until we, uh, you know, see what was behind those redaction bars in Appendix D. And, of course, we did find out today that the Supreme Court is going to hear the case on the Mueller grand jury materials, which will put, uh, you know, if they decide in favor of the House, that puts that past the election. Yeah, that's a shame because, you know, that really is that issue is little more than an interpretation of Rule 6E, grand jury secrecy materials, why the Supreme Court is taking that case up. You know, I could speculate, but it doesn't seem to be the kind of weighty constitutional issue, um, even though it sort of tangentially involves the president. It's not a constitutional issue that has to be decided. So, you know, we can debate what's behind that. But um, but a couple other things to touch on the see the the cases that were referred out by Bob Mueller, assuming some of them are still in existence, and I have no reason to believe they've all been killed by Bill Barr. You know, if I were a prosecutor and they involved criminal charges that, if exposed at this moment, the president would just begin you know furiously signing pardons for people. Well, then I wouldn't act on them or unseal them or go public with them until Donald Trump is out of office either. So I don't suspect we're going to hear much more about that until January, assuming Trump is voted out of office. And then with respect to uh, Maxwell, you know, there are really a couple of interesting issues swirling around. The two main questions are, why was she arrested now and what comes next? Why, why now? You know, I have talked to, you know, Julie Brown a good bit, who was the Miami Herald reporter who really dug into and helped expose um, the the Epstein angle involving the U.S. attorney, Alexander Acosta, back in the mid-2000s in, um, in Florida, who gave um, Epstein really this insane sweetheart non-prosecution agreement that is, it's got to be a product of corruption, in my opinion, and to cover up his crimes and to protect the people that Epstein could expose. And hopefully we hear more about that someday. But um, but, you know, why now? Why do they arrest her now? She has been out for a long time. We've seen pictures of her, you know, sipping lattes on sidewalk cafes. And we all kind of knew she was in it up to her neck as a co-conspirator with Epstein. That led me as a former 30-year prosecutor, to conclude she is very likely cooperating with the prosecution because I have many times investigated um, conspiracies. I've left a smaller fish out on the street while I use that person as a cooperator to, you know, build a case against the bigger fish, both within the conspiracy and outside the conspiracy. So that was kind of my assumption because they clearly had probable cause to lock her up. She was still out and about. So I figured maybe she is a cooperator. So if she is, if she has been cooperating, 
Um, why would she be arrested now? Well, here is one possible scenario. You know, maybe she was kind of half cooperating and her lawyers were trying to negotiate a sweetheart deal that would resolve all of her criminal exposure for being in this, you know, horrific conspiracy with Epstein to sex traffic in young girls, and they couldn't reach an agreement. And so the prosecutor said, well, then we're going to change your bargaining position. They got an arrest warrant from a judge. Actually, they got an indictment, and then they would have gotten a bench warrant. And they locked her up because now pressure bursts pipes, right? Now, if you want her to cooperate and she hasn't been fully cooperative before, well, now the calculus has changed mm -hmm. because she's locked up. And I assume they'll move for pretrial detention because she's a flight risk. Whether the judge grants that or not, we'll have to see. Um, so it may be that they had to up the pressure on her to get her fully on board as a cooperator so they could start to go after all of the rich, powerful, connected influential people that may have criminal exposure as a result of Epstein's uh, criminal conspiracy. So that's, that's one possibility. The other possibility, you know, this is a little bit of an outlier, but nothing is too crazy in the days of <laughs> Bill Barr and Donald Trump. Maybe she said, you know what, I ain't cooperating. Go ahead and lock me up because I'm playing for a pardon. Hmm. Maybe she wants to bring this case to a head now so she can angle for a pardon, assuming she has information that would expose Donald Trump directly or people that are connected to Donald Trump personally, professionally, high value, high dollar donors, who knows? So maybe she wants to bring this to a head, wants to angle for the pardon now while she still has time before Trump is voted out of office. You know, and then one other thing, the Bill Barr thing is such a wild card because on the one hand, we know that you know, Epstein got suicided mm -hmm. in jail. Mm -hmm. I still believe that is beyond suspicious. It still looks like a jailhouse hit to me, and I've been involved in investigating some of those over the years, and I've investigated plenty of suicides made to, uh, homicides made to look like suicide. So that one still looks fishy to me. Um, it, you know, who knows what Bill Barr's interests are at this moment now that Ms. Maxwell is locked up? Um, is she hoping Bill Barr will do her a favor though? Maybe she can use whatever she has as leverage to get Bill Barr to give her the Mike Flynn treatment. I don't know. Maybe Bill Barr views her as an enemy the way I think he viewed Epstein. And the next thing you know, something is going to happen to her. I hope not because as I told every single aspiring cooperating witness, every defendant I ever sat down with and debriefed, with a view toward maybe having them come on board as a cooperator. I told them up front, whether you choose to cooperate with me or not, I will take reasonable steps to keep you safe while you're locked up because you don't use somebody's safety and security as leverage over them. So I've had people tell me to F off, aspiring cooperators tell me to F off. And I said, okay, I still am going to find out who your separatees are at the DC jail so I can put in separation requests so you remain safe, even though you told me to F off. That's our job as public servants, quite frankly. So, so there are so many darn wild cards and twists and turns with respect to Maxwell that I have no idea what direction this thing is going to go. Yeah, and I mean, Barr and Epstein are connected. Uh, so 
There's, you know, because somebody's dad hired somebody as a teacher. There's there's all sorts of interesting things going on here. And, and to go back real quick to your point about how sometimes you let someone out and about to enjoy a latte on a, on a you know, on a street side cafe uh, while you roll, go, you know, roll up the big fish. Speaking of the big fish, who who could possibly be the big fish in this specifically when Ellie Honig noted on Twitter and you and I spoke about in the past in this regarding this investigation that the public corruption unit was part of this investigation. They don't usually get involved in sex trafficking crimes. And what happens? What does that mean when the public corruption unit is part of an investigation? It means that government officials are potential subjects and or targets of this investigation. A subject is somebody who has some criminal exposure in an investigation but is not necessarily the target that the government, the prosecutors are seeking to indict. A target is a term of art, and that is the person that the grand jury's investigation is focusing on and that the prosecutor intends to indict. So, yeah, the fact that that's a dead giveaway, because otherwise this would be handled by um, sort of the sex offense unit or section at the Southern District of New York U.S. Attorney's Office. We had the exact same breakdown in the D.C. office. We had a, a fraud and public corruption section, and then we had a sex offense unit that handled the sex trafficking cases. So it seems pretty obvious that among the people who might have exposure, who might have, you know, involved themselves in what Jeffrey Epstein was offering, that is sex with young girls, um, it, it could be any number of public officials up to and including the you know, the biggest fish of all, the great big whale, that would be Donald Trump. I mean, we've all seen the footage of Trump palling around with Epstein and Maxwell and, you know, who knows what kind of exposure Trump might have in all of this. Well, he's at, ver- at the very least a subject, um, in my personal opinion, uh, be just because of those connections. He's a subject. He- he's got to be a subject. He- He's probably a subject in about 1,200 different criminal <laughs> investigations. <laughs> he loves to have his photo taken, doesn't he? Um, now, one quick question for you. Uh, let's say Trump is totally innocent and Bill Clinton for, you know, let's say nobody in the United States government had anything to do with this. Can you, would the public corruptions unit be brought in for foreign diplomats and heads of state, such as Prince Andrew, for example? Could he be the reason? The sole reason, it, you know, just to sort of waylay any other sort of, you know, thoughts about it being a U.S. government official? Yeah, that's a great question. And I can't speak for the, the sort of protocol, the sort of jurisdictional protocol that the, you know, public integrity section at the Southern District of New York U.S. Attorney's Office has. But that, to me, sounds entirely plausible, even though, you know, we don't think about you know, public corruption cases as targeting or necessarily involving foreign dignitaries. That could very well be why they have, you know, but I have to believe it's more than just Prince Andrew. I mean, we have only, I think, scratched the surface of who was involved in these high dollar parties that Epstein was known to throw where he would have all of these young girls that he has groomed and brought in for these purposes. And, you know, I have a feeling if Ms. Maxwell stays healthy and uh, doesn't get Epstein and cooperates, then we are, it's going to get really ugly really quickly. And I only hope we remain focused 
on all of these women who were victims at a very young age, not only of Epstein and Maxwell's behavior, but of Acosta's behavior when he gave Epstein a walk and he did it without notifying the victims. And if you ever want to read the most horrific non-prosecution agreement you will ever see, and you don't really have to be a prosecutor or a defense attorney to appreciate how bad it is, read the agreement that Acosta delivered to um, Jeffrey Epstein. It is, it is, it's justice turned on its head, and I hope someday Alexander Acosta is is made to account for that. Oh, yeah. He was allowed to go home. He was allowed to be in his office. Young women were brought to him in those situations. He he was given a security detail that cost $125,000. Uh, I mean, he was uh, all of his... Uh, any co-conspirators were given total immunity. Uh, it's absolutely bizarre. And uh, a federal judge found there was a non-disclosure. Be... There was a, yep. There was a non-disclosure provision where the prosecutor said, Oh, we won't make any of this public because you know, we don't want to smear the good name of Jeffrey Epstein. And by the way, they also agreed to get lawyers for the victims so the victims could get a payday from Epstein at the end of the day. And you're going to love this. In the agreement, Epstein's lawyers had veto authority over the lawyers that the prosecutors got for the victims. Mm -hmm. How many times over can you victimize victims? Well, as a survivor, I can tell you it, it, it can happen a lot. And uh, I'm hoping since Epstein was suicided, as you say, that as a survivor myself, I oftentimes find justice by proxy in the prosecution of others. And I'm hoping that by uh, bringing in and but Ghislaine is, is not by proxy. She was involved in the abuse as well. And, and she's being charged with that. And I'm hoping uh, beyond all hopes uh, that this is about the survivors and it's about justice for them. So, here you know, here's uh, big ups to the justice gods for keeping uh, Ghislaine healthy and safe. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I hope she talks and I hope she's still held accountable because one of the most difficult balances I ever had to strike as a prosecutor was how much credit to give a cooperating witness who did a whole bunch of crime up front, but then cooperated with me and helped me bring down a whole bunch of bad people on the back end. Those are really difficult decisions for prosecutors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to grant any favors to somebody who uh, sexually abused 14 year old minors. It's, it's, it's a tough, it's gotta be a tough, a tough line to toe. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining me today. Uh, MSNBC legal analyst, former federal prosecutor, Glenn Kirshner, tell everyone where they can find your very important work. Yeah. So I am posting a video a day on YouTube, sometimes two, because I posted one about the Maxwell arrest this morning, and I'll post yet another one about, um, you know, the ongoing horror show that is Donald Trump's mishandling of the information that Putin is was procuring hits on U.S. soldiers, something that Donald Trump has yet to criticize or stand up to. So if you go on YouTube, it's simply my name, Glenn Kirshner. I would uh, love everybody to subscribe. It's, it's always free. And, um, you know, one video a day, a Trump or a Bill Barr crime a day is up there and um, or on Twitter. I'm Glenn Kirshner, too. So those are the two best places to find me. 
All right. Well, thanks so much for taking the taking the time to speak with us today and helping us understand the ins and outs of, of this case. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right, everybody, stay with us right after this break. We will be back with Amy Carrero and news from Under the Radar. So stick around. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. And if you've been listening to the show for a while or our other shows for a while, you have heard us rave about our Helix mattresses. Jo- Joel and Amanda have one. Jordan has one. I have one. Best sleep of your life. Absolutely like sleeping on a cloud. Well, Helix has launched a new company called Allform, and they have gone beyond the bedroom to make furniture for the rest of your home. Allform makes beautiful, comfortable sofas and chairs and love seats delivered directly to you with fast, free shipping. Allform makes it easy to customize uh, any of this, you know, any of the pieces of furniture using premium materials for a fraction of the cost of traditional stores. So you can pick your fabric, the sofa color, the color of the legs, the size, the shape, to make sure it's perfect for you and your home. And they are spill, stain, and scratch-resistant fabrics, so they're perfect for pod pets. And that actually allowed me to pick out a three-seater sofa customized in whiskey leather. I could never have a leather couch with these cats. But because of this, this, the quality of, of how this is put together, it's awesome. And it's got a walnut-like finish. Fits perfectly in my mid-century modern house. Uh, came in a couple days, put it together myself. No tools required. I absolutely love it. They have armchairs and love seats all the way up to eight-seat sectionals. So you can start small and maybe, you know, expand on it if you move into a bigger house. And usually if you want to order a customized couch or a love seat, it takes weeks or even months. Mine took months when I ordered one, you know, one, one, probably about five years ago. And uh, then you need someone to come assemble it in your home. You have to have a freight company give you a delivery window. It, it's none of that with all form. It takes just three to seven days to get in the mail. You can assemble it yourself in a few minutes. No tools needed. I put mine together myself. It was fun. Best of all, you get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. That's more than three months. And if you don't love it, they will pick it up for free. No hidden costs. No weird restocking fees. They'll give you a full refund. And they have a forever warranty. Literally forever. So to find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash dailybeans. And Allform is offering 20% off all orders for our listeners. That's huge. So head to allform.com slash dailybeans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It is time for news from Under the Radar. And joining me today, a very special guest, the voice of She-Ra on Netflix, Amy Carrero. Amy, how are you? Well, hello. That's my um, <laughs> my attempt at a Mrs. Doubtfire. I'm just trying to bring the lulls today, you know. Just trying to bring a little hello. levity. Well, hello. Uh, you know, we're just doing our best to survive here, me and my multiple personalities. How about you? Mm. It was a drive-by fruiting. Yes, I'm good. Um, (laughs) uh, You know, I'm locked down. I'm staying in my house. Although I will say this. Yesterday, I I did 50-pound sumo squats like I've been working out for the past two months. God, good for you. And now I can't walk. So that's where (laughs) where we are. Yeah, well, because when I left... You know, the gym yeah. two months ago, I was doing, I was up to 50 pounds sumo squat. And, and after six months of serious, like working out and training and, and everything. And so I'm like, oh, 50, that's where I left off two yeah, months ago. Yeah, I should yeah, be able to yeah. pick that right back up. Yeah, no. No. That's so funny because I have a, a cousin who is a bodybuilder. I mean, like insanely mm. fit. And when this all happened, she lives in New York. She was like, I can, you know, I, I understand that the gym is closing and why, but like all of my gains are going to go away. And I'm thinking like, girl, just get a bunch of dumbbells. It'll work. But like when it comes to actual strength training, like if you're not just trying to like get cut for movies like I am, like if you actually want to build strength, like you do, you really do have to use real deal equipment, you know, and you really do have to sumo <laughs> yeah. squat 50 pounds. 
So good for you. (laughs) Well, uh, yeah, we'll see tomorrow how good for me uh, this is. That's the difference between real strength and movie strength. Oh, goodness. I'll take movie strength right now. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna we're gonna go through through some headlines. Uh, there's a couple of breaking ones that we'll touch on at the end, and I just kind of want to get your feedback on here. First of all, Senator and disabled veteran, one of my favorite people, Tammy Duckworth, announced Thursday that she would hold up the confirmation of more than 1,000 military promotions until Defense Secretary Mark Esper confirms that the promotion uh, of impeachment witness Army Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vidman will move forward. Uh, Duckworth is a retired Army officer who lost both legs because of wounds sustained in the Iraq War, and she intends to block 1,123 promotions until Esper, quote, confirms in writing that he did not or will not block the expected and deserved promotion of Vindman to colonel. Listen. Yeah, Vindman served on the National Security Council staff, listened to President Donald Trump's call with Ukrainian President uh, Volodymyr Zelensky last July, and later testified in the open before the House impeachment inquiry, and, and Trump has publicly attacked him, and they seemed like they were blocking his promotion, which he is up for, and so mm-hmm. she she's not having any of it. She's saying, fuck y'all, fuck all y'all. Uh, no one gets yeah. promoted unless you put in writing that you're going to promote Vindman too. That is the ultimate badass move. I mean, it's, it's a level and it's, it's not really pettiness, but like for our own enjoyment, we'll call it, call it pettiness. But like there is a <laughs> level of pettiness that only like badass women possess. You know what I mean? Like this is not something anyone else would have thought up. Like, you know, come on. This is pretty badass. So good for her. It's like if nobody can, you know, if this person can't have cake, then nobody can have cake. And that's just the way it's going to be. Yeah, it's like it's like a mom thing almost, right? Like, yeah, totally. No. Nope, yeah. nope. If you're not going to share, I'm taking it away from all of you. That's fantastic. And also, you yeah. know, she, I think because she's a veteran, um, I think that she really knows exactly how to get things done in within the military. And I and she must know something we don't. And I feel like maybe with this internal pressure, like I'm sure I don't know much about military promotions, but I'm 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 assuming that this, you know, is going to put a lot of people's pay raises on hold and other benefits Mm -hmm. on hold. So I think maybe if she turns up the heat within, um, then maybe it'll get the people at the top to do what needs to be done. Yeah, because then if somebody doesn't get promoted and they don't get their pay increase and all that, right. you know, all their other pay increases and then they will have Mark Esper to blame. Although I'm exactly. sure this administration will probably try to blame Tammy Duckworth, but she knows as a disabled yeah. veteran it's going to be really fucking hard to do that. Yeah. <laughs> love her. <laughs> yeah, me so too. Much. I love her so much. We need more of that. Oh, so so much more. I would run for office if I wasn't a comedian for 10 years before. Um, (laughs) Next headline. Uh, The Supreme Court today announced it will hear the Mueller grand jury materials case on the merits next term, which is going to push back its potential release should Congress win on the merits to after the election. So don't imagine. Now, first of all, these are the Mueller grand jury materials under Rule 6E. We weren't going to get to see these Anyway, it was just going to go to Congress. But now they aren't probably going to get to see this if they rule in the favor of of the House until after until after this election. So can I ask you, because I I tried to look this up and I and I couldn't find good information. Could they have done it this session and chose not to? Or is this 
Like, who who do we have to point the finger at here? <laughs> the courts can take some of the blame here because they're not expediting this process. This is right. uh, a, a settled law, first of all. And it, because, you know, we got the grand jury materials in the Nixon case. Uh, it was called the Jaworski Report. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's there's precedent for this. And uh, they can always, the court always can expedite um, when they hear uh, arguments and release decisions um, as particularly based, you know, if it's based on impeachment, you know, when, when right. they were trying to get the Nixon tapes in, you know, 1973, 1974, the court, by the time, you know, between the time they filed for the tapes and the time they had them in their hands was four months. Jerry Nadler right. asked for these materials in July, July 27th of last year. So Jeez it's been a Louise. year. And yeah. and do you think, again, this might be a really stupid question because maybe the scheduling is left up to like someone other than the justices. But But is this a situation where maybe they all could have gotten together and decided to expedite it, but because we have a conservative majority, they're just like, nah. Yeah, well, generally what happens is when they're deciding whether or not they're going to hear a case, they have a conference, which they did on Wednesday, and they conference about all sorts of things. And this was okay. probably the the penultimate wrap-up conference of this particular term, which we're still waiting for eight decisions on. Uh, and so probably what happened, because you need four justices to vote mm-hmm. to hear a case on the merits. And if the four conservative justices wanted to hear the case on the merits and, you know, to, to, to delay the handing over of this material, then they get to do that. Yeah, that's why it was so important that, you know, we, we, yes, some people see Roberts as a swing vote. I personally don't, Mm -hmm. but that's why the Gorsuch nomination uh, and of course the Kavanaugh nomination were so, so important is because it's not just about cases getting decided uh, by a conservative majority. It's about which cases they decide to even hear here oh god it's just and 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 who uh susan collins the other day was like what did she say she was like there's just no way i couldn't have known and and i'm like except you could have but okay yeah i (laughs) except i told your face exactly (laughs) except everybody told you susan but she was too busy being concerned gravely concerned yeah she had a little furrow a little furrow in her brow and Mm-hmm. Mm. Time oh, goodness. To go, oh goodness it's just so concerning okay i don't know how she sleeps um, at night i truly i don't i mean she probably has some really good uh melatonin gummies or something but mm, sigh. yeah she's just a she's a garbage human <laughs> she um, sure is next headline let's see here uh boop 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 Boop. Coronavirus um, is now at an exponential and out of control level of spread. Uh, and apparently, Alabama students have organized COVID 19 parties as a contest to see who would get the virus first. Tuscaloosa City Councilor Sonia McKinstry said students hosted the parties to intentionally infect each other with the new coronavirus, uh, saying party organizers purposefully invited guests who had tested positive for COVID-19. And she said the students put money in a pool, a pot, and whoever got COVID first would get the cash. It's the new key party, except you get a deadly virus instead of a swinger situation. Yeah, it's, it's Tide Pods with money. I just don't like are aren't you just so tired of winning? Aren't you just so exhausted of just winning? Mm. 
I mm. mean, the we we've <sighs> we've won the Darwin Award, I think, as a country like multiple times this year, and this just goes right, just slips right in. It's just yeah, it's definitely on brand for twenty twenty. Um, mm. I, I don't, you know, I don't blame these kids. I blame Trump. Uh, and yes, because imagine, ima- you know, a Trump has basically told everyone it's fine. It's going to disappear. You'll be fine. You have a little cough. <laughs> then you'll be yeah. OK. Uh, I don't wear a mask, but sometimes I do. But I don't. <laughs> but when I do, I look like the Lone Ranger. Oh, my God. Um, <gasps> yeah. The Lone Ranger's mask went over his eyes, by the way. Uh, <laughs> thanks to John Cryer for pointing that out. Yeah. Thank you. Honestly, doing the Lord's work. You know, what's so crazy. I think that and I've been doing some thinking about this. In 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 the um, as it relates to like social justice issues and and the struggles we have with racism in this country, I think there's a I'm pretty sure it's a whole chapter, or at least a section in White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo, where she talks about like how American exceptionalism and this idea of individualism has really sort of set us back, and it's not I don't think exclusive to white people in this case. So it's like anything that is for the greater good or anything that would help society as a whole, but is a little bit uh, inconvenient. We just don't care to do. We just don't want to do it. If it doesn't affect us, then we don't care. So I, I just. Right. This is like a really big, big problem. And I think obviously Trump is, you know, exacerbating this. But maybe we've always had this. Maybe we've always had this problem where we just refuse to be our brother's keeper or our neighbor's keeper. And it's almost like part of the culture. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's so weird. Yeah. Uh, we, yeah. So many people have been talking about this for so long. I remember seeing it in the early 80s with uh, George Carlin talking about NIMBY, mm-hmm. you know, the concept of not in my backyard. I, you know, you want to yes. build some houses for the homeless. Not in my backyard. Oh, you want to do something yeah. nice? Put a, a food co-op up. Not in my backyard. Everyone's pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Take care of your own damn self. Meh, meh. Right, I think right, it started right. with the metric system, you know. Um, damn. When, you that's know, a really we, good point. <laughs> <laughs> when we refused, we, 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 you know, we got our independence from England from the Boston Tea Party, which was about taxation without representation, by the way. Let's go D.C. statehood. By the way. But, uh, you know, we get over here and we're like, no, fuck you. We're driving on the right side of the road and fuck your metric system. We have a whole new thing <laughs> or, you know, or fuck the rest of the whole world. We're using thing. the imperial system. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's just this whole. I mean, even our math is imperial. Ugh. Ugh. It's yeah. just really crazy. So, so these kids, what, are, what, are, what is their goal? They want to get. They just want to get it over with. Like, do they think that herd immunity is going to be achieved with college parties? No. This is simply about a game, a, a bet. Whoever gets it oh. first gets gets How money. Sweet. And and what I'm con- considerably worried about is. You know, Trump has made everyone think this is not a big deal, and he silenced the scientists on this oh, God, uh, yeah. and refuses to wear a mask in public. But my, my, you know, I just keep thinking about what, what if one of these young kids gets coronavirus, gives it to their grandma or oh, yeah. their mom who who battled breast cancer, and they die. Mm-hmm. The trauma that that kid is going to have to live with because. Right of what this president does. And I'm not taking personal responsibility away from these kids, but when I was 18, 19, 20, yeah, I I was technically an adult, but, but really you should be able to listen to your president and feel pretty confident about it. And, and so I'm just 
terrified for what happens to their families. Yeah, it's really scary. And and I think that the, this year has shown me that, you know, I spend a lot of my time watching the news and reading up, you know, because it's interesting to me. There's a lot of people that don't have that time or the bandwidth. And so they rely on those news conferences, the ones that everybody covers, um, to, to give them good information. And so if they're hearing from the president, like, oh, don't worry about, you know, this will blow over, this will be gone by July. And and then they're also hearing from their governor, like, you know, masks are mandatory. I actually don't know what, what the rule is in Alabama. But if other people are downplaying it, you're just sort of a product of whatever um, bubble you're in. And so maybe it's a situation where these kids just really have no idea that this could kill people. And I, but at this point, it's like, how do you not know? I don't know. Hmm. I didn't know. I didn't know either. All right. Another <laughs> uh, headline here. Back in, let's see, July. Oh, let's see. When did he tweet this? Right before the Tulsa rally, which feels like 400 years ago. I know. Um, oh, no. Mount Rushmore. Uh, on. Oh. The Mount Rushmore event. Herman Cain tweeted, masks will not be mandatory for this event, which will be attended by President Trump. People are fed up. And today, Herman Cain, who has battled stage four cancer, has been hospitalized with coronavirus. Oh, yeah. I just saw that. Because he was at the rally, right? Mm -hmm. He was at the Tulsa rally, but he didn't supposedly have any contact with Trump. That's so insane. Yeah. What's crazy is, and I've heard this from relatives who live in the Midwest, they're, you know, they're like, well, it's just different here. Like, people are just have a different attitude. And I'm like, yeah, I hear that, but the virus is the same. I mean, I don't I don't think it cares what your attitude is. I don't care. I don't think it cares <laughs> if it? you're fed, like, how fed up you are. Like, you know, sorry, it's still a deadly virus. It's just crazy. It's so crazy how science is not a thing people believe in anymore. <laughs> Yeah, but they believe a reality show host. Um, Two final quick headlines here. Uh, These are breaking stories. Uh, CNN reporting that the U.S. attorney uh, in Brooklyn, um, I'm pulling the story up right now because it's just now coming across my desk. I get paper. Ships at sea, ships at sea, we have news. Um, Uh, Basically, uh, Trump is floating the idea and Barr is floating the idea of ousting, not ousting, but promoting the U.S. Attorney General uh, in Brooklyn, in the Eastern District of New York, uh, out of that office and replacing uh, that person with a senior department official close to uh, Bill Barr. Uh, On Thursday, Richard Donahue, the U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of New York, told his staff he'd be stepping down to move to Washington as the PayDag at at Maine Justice, which is the Principal Associate Deputy Attorney General, PayDag, a very powerful position that acts as the gatekeeper to investigations across the country. Um, Sweet. Now, what was going on in the Eastern District? We had a lot of different... um, uh, cases coming out of of the eastern district let's see here okay because you you mostly just hear about the southern district right but the big one was the tom barack uh, mm. or tom barrack uh, excuse me um he was being investigated in the eastern district for his position on trump's inaugural committee that amassed 108 million dollars that just sort of whoop, poof disappeared disappeared um, poof 
So that's happening. We'll keep everybody posted on that. And then, of course, uh, this is really, really excellent uh, news from a Talking Points Memo, who I actually really love, TPM. Um, they tend mm. to be a little... Uh, they spin a little left, but everything that they say uh, usually comes true. But this is not a speculative piece or an op-ed. They're just plain up reporting that Jeffrey Berman is going to sit and testify in front of the House uh, next week with the House oh. Judiciary Committee. And Berman, as you know, was the ousted Southern District of New York U.S. attorney uh, who was yeah, baby. who refused to leave because they were going to replace him right. with one of Barr's, you know, dick suckers. And so yeah. <laughs> what they did was instead of that, they, it, hey, you know, no dick sucking shame. But instead of that, um, what happened was he said, I'm not going anywhere unless, you know, basically you put Audrey Strauss, who is the number two in the department, the, my deputy. Right in charge of my cases and and Berman won that fight and of course today Audrey Strauss um just a few days after this whole you know shenanigans went down indicted uh Ghislaine Maxwell so that you know in the Epstein case so it's it's very all very interesting and we're going to it's a closed door hearing though I do want to say this this is not a public hearing that's a bummer yeah, I know. Um, but there's probably going to be a lot of classified information, a lot of information about open and ongoing investigations that, you know, that Berman can't talk about. But what I'm most interested in and what I hope gets asked is those 12 redacted cases handed off by Mueller, um, many to the Southern District, some to the Eastern District, some to the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office, um, you know, that were open and ongoing investigations when when Mueller was, you know, I think, forced to stop his investigation. So we'll see. We'll yep. see what happens uh, in those cases. Great. But th- those are the headlines from under the radar. So I'm so glad you were here to talk to me about them. Oh, my gosh. Thanks for having me. You know, I'm just uh, just here, um, just in between my appearances on this podcast, I'm, I'm really doing nothing. So it's a highlight. It's a highlight. I was going to ask what you've been working on. So that answers that. <laughs> well, surviving. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it's just a few, a few of our family members have tested positive. They're fine. They're ha- they have like mild cases. But that's sort of been um, – That's Florida. been kind of like the, the big news. No, in Iowa. So okay. that's been the big news here. And, um, you know, we're just trying to – I think like in, in L.A., the people, anybody who's in show business is just trying to figure out like what's next. Like, do we even go back to work this year? It's kind of hard to predict. So, but that being said, you know, we're, we're here, we're, we're healthy and we got a Netflix account. So we're doing okay. Everybody watch Shira. <laughs> Everyone watch Shira. Where can people find you on, on the socials? On the socials, I am at Amy, A-I-M-E-E, Carrero, C-A-R-R-E-R-O, on Instagram awesome. and Twitter. And that's the only stuff, that's the only one I have, the only two I have. Well, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Everybody, we'll be right back after this quick word to discuss new information on the Russian bounty scandal. You do not want to miss it, so stay with us. Hey, friends, it's AG, and this portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by Sunsoil CBD. Uh, CBD is all the rage. It's super popular. It's popping up everywhere. You can get it in coffee and supplements and pet treats. Uh, It's just, it's literally everywhere because it's so useful and it's so helpful. Uh, But it can also be confusing and complicated. How can you tell what's good and what's not? Is it organic? Is it safe? What is the dosage? And who can you trust? 
Those were some of the questions I had, and Sunsoil CBD had all of the answers. With Sunsoil, you know what's in every bottle and exactly where it comes from. There's no second guessing because they only use ingredients you can understand and trust. And most of their products have just two ingredients, organic hemp and organic coconut oil. Easy peasy. Uh, transparency and quality control are what sets Sunsoil apart from the rest. They farm all their own hemp in their Green Mountain Farms of Vermont and extract the CBD themselves, testing for quality and purity every step of the way. Maybe when I go take the bar, I can stop by their uh, the, by their farm there and check it out. But they never use pesticides, herbicides, or GMOs. Um, because Sunsoil does everything in-house, it keeps their products simple. They can offer the highest quality CBD at unbeatable prices. In fact, the Sunsoil products are usually half of the price of other ingestible CBD brands. And every Sunsoil product product is USDA organic, and that includes their oil drops, soft gels, capsules, uh, and their coconut oil. I like to put a few drops of the oil in my morning coffee or in a smoothie, like after I work out. Uh, And often I take a soft gel at night, right before getting some awesome sleep. So one of the greatest things about Sunsoil, and you know how we are on the philanthropy, is that as the largest CBD manufacturer to partner with 1% for the planet, they will be donating 1% of Sunsoil's annual sales to help environmental nonprofits that do good for people, plants, and the planet. Sunsoil removes all the guesswork by making pure and simple CBD products at unbeatable prices. Get 30% off your first order by going to sunsoil.com slash dailybeans. That's S-U-N-S-O-I-L dot com slash dailybeans for 30% off your first order. All right, everybody, joining me today is uh, former senior director for counterterrorism at the National Security Council and Just Security editorial board member, Joshua Geltzer. Josh, welcome back to the show. And thanks so much for the invitation to come back. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you are probably, you know, we've spoken to in the last three days, Mike McFall and Frank Fagluzzi, counterterrorism experts and ambassador to Russia, former and so uh, I read your piece that you just put out at Just Security about the whole, you know, Russian bounty, GRU, paying Taliban forces to, you know, collect corpses of U.S. and coalition forces. Uh, we've got the reporting that they were paying $100,000. They have the bag man. There's, you know, we've covered all that. But there's some things that need to, you know, that has sort of gone unsaid. And in this piece, you you split it into two parts, a record of accommodation and imp- an appeasement. Uh, by Donald Trump to Russia and the Trump administration as a whole, and what a normal response should look like. And then there's a couple of other factors I'd like to discuss. But I would hope for uh, our listeners, you could go over these two main points uh, for us, because I think it's incredibly important. So can we start with the record of accommodation and appeasement? Absolutely. You know, there's generally been an astonishing uh, appeasement of Putin by by Donald Trump since he, he took office. But I think it makes this bounty saga just even more egregious when one drills down on the steps Trump has taken to look out for Putin, advance Putin's interests in the time period when the U.S. government had intelligence about these bounties uh, being placed on U.S. service members in Afghanistan. Mm. Yeah, a hundred percent, and 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 the list is quite long. <laughs> I mean, we've we've covered them as they've happened because we're just astonished that he's so friendly. That's right. So you know, it, it we start this list in in February 2020 because that's uh, according to media reports when the U.S. intelligence community had really come to greater detail, higher confidence in its assessment about these bounties. One could have started even earlier, but even if you start then. The sequence is just mind-blowing. Uh, just, just to give one example, February 2020, that's the, the, the starting point. Well, it's just the next month. It's March 2020 when Trump's Justice Department abruptly drops 
a two-year investigation into something called Concord Management and Consulting. It's a Russian company alleged in a formal indictment to have contributed to 2016 election interference here in the United States. Two weeks later, Trump talks to Putin on the phone. That's one of six calls, at least six that we know about, that happen in this time period. And Trump says all sorts of gushing things about how the call goes, about how he thinks uh, of, of Putin. And at least according to the Kremlin, uh, the two leaders agree to communicate on, quote, a more personal level, personal level. That's happening while the United States is sitting on reporting that the Russians are paying bounties to kill U.S. service members. Wow. And there were so many other things that had happened, you know, just since February. I mean, if we talk about the removal of McGuire uh, as uh, the director of national intelligence, which Mueller testified back in July as the single most important thing we can do going forward to ensure our security, election security. Uh, and uh, I mean, the ousting of all the inspectors general. What are some of the other appeasements that, that uh, went on during this time time period? Yeah, it really is an astonishing list. So as you say, the change in leadership at the Directorate of National Intelligence um, seems to be tilting towards Russia on this timeline. So McGuire is removed February 20. Trump announces February 28 that he will nominate uh, then-representative, now DNI, uh, John Ratcliffe. And remember, Ratcliffe said uh, during impeachment proceedings that he thought it was fine for a foreign government to, quote, become involved in an election involving a political opponent. So yet another green light, not the first green light, but yet another green light to, to Russia from Trump in pushing forward uh, Ratcliffe as the head of the DNI. Then the, the list just continues. Let's go to, to April 1. Uh, President Trump says at a White House press conference, it's very nice that Russia sent a, quote, very, very large plane load of things, medical equipment, to help with coronavirus. Uh, never mind that it, it turns out that the manufacturer of these ventilators is a Russian company under U.S. sanctions. All of this presents a huge PR gift to, to Vladimir Putin. The, mm. the idea of the plane landing in the first place, the idea of the arrival of this gift being praised by a president whose government has sanctioned the very company that made the ventilators, it's just another way to, to boost Putin on the world stage if you're Donald Trump. That's happening in April. Yeah, and, then, and, uh, and uh, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but not to mention at that time, the administration and Dr. Fauci were basically lying to the American people, telling them that masks were ineffective so that they could keep what little masks and PPE we had for frontline healthcare workers, sort of leaving us all out to hang dry in the wind. That's right. I mean, the, the idea of praising Russia for this plane load while just botching abysmally the the full scope of the U.S. reaction to, to the virus. Uh, it, it's, it's appalling from a public health perspective, and it, it speaks to, I guess I'd call, almost all, I'll call it almost desperation on Trump's part, to find a win for Vladimir Putin at virtually every opportunity. I mean, it's bad enough when Trump tries to find a win for himself in the face of various things that he botches, like coronavirus. But to pull out of pull a, a rabbit out of that hat and, and have the rabbit be a, a PR win for, for Vladimir Putin, that, that makes even, even less sense, at least for any normal American president to do. <laughs> yeah, and, and um, even as recently as uh, this week, 
with the Republicans in the Senate stripping the provision in the NDAA that would require campaigns to report uh, foreign offers of assistance in the election to to a campaign. Uh, that, that language was removed um, by the Republicans. Each one of these becomes a, a, a signal uh, to Russia, among, among other audiences that are, that are watching, that Trump and those who support him seem not at all concerned with the distortion, disruption of American democracy that Putin directed in 2016, and with elevating Russian interests, and in particular, leaving Russia poised to continue to, to mess with and meddle with our democracy as 2020 approaches. And, you know, as, as these events are happening, as intelligence is moving around the U.S. government of particularly egregious Russian action and offering up cash to, to kill Americans, you have Trump not just sending these broader public signals, but getting on phone calls. April 9, he gets on the phone call with um, uh, President Putin and the King of Saudi Arabia to talk, talk about an oil deal. April 10, he talks to Putin again about bilateral and global issues, including coronavirus and energy. April 12, he talks to Putin and the Saudi king again. May 7, talks to Putin again. Uh, th that's not even allowing a normal head-to-head, head-of-state-to-head-of-state head relationship to continue despite intelligence that, that should be making President Trump's stomach turn. That's going out of his way to, to portray Putin, to act as if Putin is a particularly trusted partner for, for Trump. Yeah, and not only, again, siding with Putin, but blaming our intelligence community, blaming the CIA briefer for not briefing him loudly enough, and then obviously going after the leakers here. Um, now, you mentioned normal. What you, The second part of your article here is what a normal response would look like. Can you give us a, a brief overview of that? Absolutely. So it becomes sometimes hard to remember what, what normal does look like <laughs> in the Trump era, and that's why I think much like laying out the, the engagement with, with Putin and, and generally pro-Russian steps, laying out what normal looks like just helps us understand what a gulf there is between it and how Trump has, in fact, responded. So here's what normal would have looked like. When this intelligence comes in, first of all, the president would read it. He would actually read his daily brief, mm -hmm. and he would have questions about it. The, the directness of this threat, whatever the confidence level the intelligence community might have had in it, the directness of it would lead him to ask questions. But what's more, those who work on these policy issues with a president at the White House, the National Security Advisor, for example, they would have other intelligence-related questions. They would be asking the intelligence community to prioritize filling any gaps it might have to make this something they invest more energy in. They would also, in normal times, ask about sharing the intelligence with those who might face a similar risk. And here I have in mind, in particular, the Brits, who are serving in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. uh, Brits have been the subject, even on British soil, of Putin-directed violence. Uh, it's reported that this information was shared with the Brits just last month, but a normal White House would think about sharing it as soon as they saw it to try to protect the lives of, of, of our allies. So there's, there's an intelligence re reaction set. Mm. But there's more that would flow from it. The, the, there'd be a military reaction. And again, a White House that cared about service members' lives would want to know what else does the military need? What steps is it taking to protect its service members? Maybe changing its rules of operation, maybe bringing in uh, equipment that could protect them more to the extent that they are out on, on missions. Uh, 
all of this needs to be coordinated because the answers to those questions from the military could affect what other steps the United States would be considering, which we can talk more about, like diplomacy or sanctions. But to know how to respond, you need a functioning White House that understands what this means as a danger to the military that begins to fill gaps through greater intelligence. And it almost seems like the buck stopped at the White House because intelligence communities sort of did what they do. They they analyzed and communicated with one another about the confidence levels and then disseminated the information globally at well to all intelligence community, you know, community agencies in our country on the wire, the CIA thing. Like by May 4th, we we briefed NATO uh, et cetera. And then, of course, with the Pentagon, they upped awareness and started some, you know, countermeasures. And there were, you know, spies and commandos on the ground that knew about this and sort of changed some things about their ops to to deal with it or understand it. They were capturing and, and interrogating uh, members of the Taliban on this and gathering and collecting uh, in the intelligence community information on money, following, following the money. But then when it gets to the White House, radio silence. And so, you know, I think it's really important that we investigate and find out where that breakdown of communication was, who knew what, when they knew it. And and more importantly, you bring up in the article, like, let's talk about right now, because you say, imagine if Russia knows, Trump knows. And I, I want, I was hoping you could explain why that is important as we sit here today. It, it really seems like we're at a moment where the Trump administration's indulgence of Russia has, has gone to new heights precisely because of this. We know now that Russia knows now that we know about this. <laughs> they, they, they see our newspapers the same way we see our newspapers. And even with that knowledge, even with the fact that Donald Trump knows about this intelligence reporting and knows that his entire country, his populace knows about this reporting, Russia sees that Trump seems completely uninterested in doing anything about it and getting tough on Russia for what appears to be a, an egregious set of actions. What can that say to Russia? I mean, it, it seems to suggest that there is virtually no line that, that they can cross that will somehow elicit from a Trump administration a harsh response to their activities. And that's an invitation to a whole lot of mischief, and mischief may be too too weak a word because it's more than mischief when it's American service members' lives on the line. But to have this moment where even the White House says Trump has been briefed, even Trump is talking about this, even if he's calling it a hoax, and to see him fail to respond, that takes a scandal to a whole nother level, regardless of what we think the failings have been over the past year or two. Yeah, and, and Trump's failure to begin drawing that line with the the weak response to the 2016 election meddling. In fact, flat-out denial that it happened, I think, probably uh, led to Putin and, frankly, myself, um, you know, not being surprised that there's no reaction here. That's, in some ways, the, the saddest part of this, which is, again, if we're all understanding this correctly from, from, from our glimpses into it through media reporting, the, the Russians at some point made a calculation that this strategy of, of, of putting bounties on uh, the heads of American service members in Afghanistan was worth pursuing. And if I'm assuming a normal operating uh, uh, set of decision makers at the Kremlin, they must have at least considered, well, what happens if the Americans find out about this? 
And again, based on what we know, it seems that the answer within the Kremlin was, yeah, it's worth the risk. Nothing that bad will happen to us. Presumably a conclusion they reached based on, as you say, how indulgent Trump had been of Russia already, including with respect to the, the election interference of 2016. And the really sad part is, so far, that, that seems right. The, the idea that when Trump found out there wouldn't be a price to pay for Russia, so far, that just looks sadly correct. Yep. And uh, that is why I, I have pretty intense fear about what's going to happen in the 2020 election. Um, but uh, nonetheless, uh, I appreciate you coming on and, and speaking with us today about this. Senior Director for Counterterrorism at the National Security Council, former and Just Security editorial board member. Check out his piece uh, at justsecurity.org. Is that correct? Justsecurity.org? That's the one. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. It's an incredible piece. It's an incredible read. It will give you the full contextual. You know, when when this news first dropped, my instinct was we have to look at this in context to other events, not just it in and of itself. And you have spelled it out wonderfully uh, in your piece uh, with your other board members at JustSecurity.org. Josh, thanks for talking to me today. Thank you. I enjoyed it. All right, everybody, stick around. We'll be right back after this quick break. Hey, Daily Beans listeners, it's A.G., Life is pretty stressful these days, and everyone could use a break from arguing online and worrying at home. And if you're looking for a fun way to pass the time while engaging your brain, taking a break, and having a little you time, you can enjoy the breathtaking visuals and gripping story of Best Fiends. I love Best Fiends because it's a refreshing break from the daily insanity of politics and pandemics, but it keeps my brain focused and active, which I really appreciate. Um, it's a bra- break, though, from the stress and anxiety, and it's really calming. Uh, and there, it's a challenging puzzle game, fun and challenging puzzles to engage, and it's fun. Uh, I started playing Best Fiends uh, as a distraction from the news, and then I was just, like, sucked in by the beautiful colors and the way I was just very calming. The visual design's beautiful. I got deeper into the story and developed all my characters, most of which are bugs, by the way. And the antagonists are slugs, so it's a lot like Washington. Uh, You collect tons of characters. You need to use them strategically for each level. Uh, I find myself playing more and more in odd places at random times because guess what? You don't have to have the internet, so you don't have to worry about Wi-Fi access or using cell data. Uh, It feels like a great healthy distraction from being stressed out. And they treat the game like a service for the players, and they update it monthly with new levels and events so it never gets old. Uh, We have one uh, patron who's on level 1100. I'm on like level 160, so I'm like in awe. Um, But engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, it has over 100 million downloads, and it's five-star rated. Uh, Great mobile puzzle game. It's a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Ah, everybody, welcome back. It is finally time for good news. Well, we'll float on good news. It's on the way. And joining me today for the good news segment is Jordan Coburn. Jordan, how are you? Hello, I'm doing well. You went out at a protest today, right? So you're a little bit, you got a little sun today uh, out at a protest. How was it? It was great. It was led by black youth in San Diego and it was to get the police out of schools. And it was just, Mm. um, there's a lot of powerful testimony really by students and stuff that they've endured and people that came up and talked about the history of police in schools, like how it was increased tenfold after 9-11 and after Columbine. And it was sort of Um, put in place under this guise of security and really what it's mostly done is 
reinforce the school to prison pipeline that already existed because of the racism that was happening um or that just exists and results in kids getting over criminalized criminalized in general in school and it was a really good thing yeah for white people to sit there and hear because it's stuff that we just don't know jack shit about and then I heard from a speaker who is another black leader, but she's older. She looks like she was about in her 30s or so. And she was saying that it's her job to earn the respect of the youth organizing movement, just the youth in general, really. And I thought that that's a perspective that we don't hear people that are older in general have for the younger generation, which is that, you know, they're powerful people that really have they are looking up to people to protect them and it's their job as you know someone that's uh our job i should say in general obviously this is this is a black woman talking about in the space of being black in general it's also something that i think can be applied to the sort of ageist tendencies that you know we kind of tend to look at any age groups with which is that sort of you know animosity that we hear people talking about towards boomers or boomers towards you know my generation and and to hear um her get up there and describe it like that that the youth is a powerful body that we have to earn the respect of by being there for them was just a really awesome perspective i hadn't heard yeah yeah, absolutely. And I hope uh, another thing, one of the 8,000 great things that, that could potentially come from this is that we all start listening to each other intergenerationally. Um, I think that that's really important. So thank you for sharing that um, experience. It just sounds amazing. I just I just love the, I mean, you know, I've, I've gone to so many protests and just being out and among people who are like-minded and, and, and fighting, I think it just has, it's just really... It's really yeah. inspirational. So. Totally. Super socially distanced, too. It was in a field Good. and there was like plenty, plenty of space. Yeah, everyone seems very, very respectful of all that. So, mm-hmm. um, All right, so let's get to our listener good news. I don't have any schadenfreude or good news today, so why don't you kick it off with Jamie? Sure. Uh, first up from Jamie, pronoun she, her, she says, good news. First off, you ladies are amazing and have kept me sane ever since the very early days of MSW. The mornings while I wanted to cry when I read the news about what bullshit Trump said, did, etc., I would turn your podcast on for my commute. Your sanity-inducing show would help me remain calm for another 24 hours of news and life thank you from the bottom of my heart for the show your fantastic community and all of your hard work to keep us informed and more importantly laughing on the good news front from a very red tennessee a nashville judge rebuked the state's top election officials threatening them with criminal contempt of court if they don't abide by her order to update the state's absentee voting request form to accommodate those who wish to vote by mail due to the covid19 pandemic hurrah Safe voting options in a state with rising cases. As a person who lived in Washington State for many years, who has had mail-in voting options for a long time, this shocked me when this wasn't an option when I moved here years ago. With seeing more and more northerners, in quotes, moving into the state, I have high hopes that we will be able to make this state turn more purple than blazing red. On another good news note, I have been able to see my parents in real life for the first time since December. Hugging my parents for the first time in over six months almost brought me to tears. We have all been cautiously sheltering in place, and my parents finally felt it was safe enough to drive down from Wisconsin to visit. I am so grateful that we are all healthy and can spend a long holiday weekend together. Thanks again, ladies, for all you do. Jamie in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. 
in parentheses, can't can't wait to see how Jordan pronounces that in real time. <laughs> ha. <laughs> how do you say it? I Mur- think- Murfreesboro? I've I've always just called it Murfreesboro, but uh, I am probably totally wrong. Um, That sounds right. (laughs) I don't fucking know, though. I'm not the person to make that call. I I love that she knows you don't read these in advance and is like just springs (laughs) it on you. Um, That's so great, Jamie. Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 no. no. Yeah. This is way more important than Jamie's news. Yes. Um, So awesome. So, so, so awesome. I I can't even... uh, I, I did not go six months without seeing my parents, and I don't know if, um, yeah, that's that's honestly, that's an unfathomably long time for a lot of people who have a typically close relationship physically with their parents and get to see them. Mm. Well, Jamie and family, um, I hope you have a happy and safe 4th of July. Um, next, good news story from Jessica R., um, Jessica R. Pronouns she her. Not really a confession or good news. Just thought I had. Just a thought I had in the shower while listening to the Daily Beans. If I could enhance my current self, I would take Mandy's calmness and compassion, Jordan's sense of humor and quick wit, and Ag's brain and tenacity. What a dynamic trio you all are. Much love to you. Aw, that's not Aww. a confession. That's so nice. Aw, man. Thank you, Jessica. My face is red. What a lovely shower thought. I like mm. that people are thinking about us in the shower. That's a good sign. Mm. <laughs> yes, and I, I, I'm glad they want my brain and, t- and tenacity, but not that you know, not that I'm an asshole. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> 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 I'll just take the brain and tenacity part and leave yeah. the rest. Thanks. That's so funny. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm a comedian. I have to self-deprecate. I have to self-deprecate. You by really law. do, and I am here for it. You know that. <laughs> I will always support hating yourself. That's what we do. That's what makes us great. <laughs> is we have oh very God, self-limiting it... conceptions of our potential, and that is why we will reach it. <laughs> we will reach the top. Uh, um, what, a, what an uplifting message. <laughs> uh, oh, Jessica was listening to us in the shower. That's why she was thinking about us in the shower. I was taking too much credit there for the shower thoughts. I did learn the shower, I think I've said this before on the podcast, shower is a great place to come up with new ideas. Apparently there's something about the uh, like water, you know, like falling on your skin or something that creates the sort of uh, they, they people have found a correlation between being in the shower and thinking of shit. Yeah, it sort of gives you an introspection, right? Like think of think of all the movie scenes that happen in the rain when somebody's like yes. thinking about something deep in, in the rain and like all that stuff sort of happens when it's when there's water falling on you. So yeah, maybe there's a connection there. Let's do yeah, a study. Totally. Speaking of uh the ocean and water and stuff, you ever think about how the ocean is like nature's bladder? <laughs> I was thinking that the other day. It's like, it very much is in many ways. It checks out. Think about it. Smoke a bowl and think about it and come back to all me right, on I Twitter. <laughs> um, all right. Do you ever notice? <laughs> <laughs> from, from Mary, uh, pronoun she or she says, I live in Massachusetts. It looks like being able to vote by mail might become an option for Massachusetts residents in time for the general election in November. The House passed its version of a vote-by-mail bill, and so did the Senate. My understanding is that both bills must now be combined into one bill that both the House and the Senate can agree on and pass before it goes to our governor's desk for his signature. 
Early voting was legalized here in Massachusetts ahead of the 2016 presidential election cycle, and that was really a game changer for my husband and me. We try to vote every election, whether it be for president, our member of Congress, members of the local school committee, uh, or city council, but it's been hard to get to our polling place on the day itself due to our schedules. That's so unacceptable and sucks so bad that so many Americans are in that position. Um, that was my own shit. Sorry. I have, I have friends who live in California and I admit that I am jealous that they get to vote by mail already. I wish that this was an option in all 50 states. Me too, Mary. I cannot believe that it is not an option in all 50 states. That is mm-hmm. not yep, okay. We're working on it. Yep. We're working yes. on it. Step yes, one, are. elect Joe Biden. Yep. Step, uh, steps two through 9,000 come after that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, next up from Sean, um, pronouns he him dear beans queens i've been listening to your content since i was shoveling snow angrily out of my front yard in seattle last february i'm an enormous fan of your meticulous work and concerned yet hopeful tone we need more watchdogs like you all Uh, you all know you guys realize you don't have to give us compliments up front and at the (laughs) end of of the good news block i think if we conditioned everybody to build us a compliment sandwich whenever they speak to us i mean i appreciate it so much but (laughs) every time i read these i'm like shut up you guys just tell me your good news i know we've scared people into being nice to us in all interactions (laughs) (laughs) anyway uh sean goes on since last february i've gotten rejected by all but one grad school, London School of Economics, Uh, married my amazing wife and agreed to move with her to Los Angeles for a huge career opportunity of hers instead of going to the UK. This was the right call. I'm very happy with my choice and spent almost a full year out of work, which was very humbling and difficult. I finally got a freelance opportunity to run marketing for a cool e-commerce startup here in Los Angeles, which is going pretty well. And with some encouragement from my incredibly supportive wife, I've decided to reapply to grad schools in the Los Angeles area to pursue an MBA. It's going to be a lot of work, and I will no doubt be psychologically exhausting, but I've gone through it before, and I'm excited to apply uh, what I've learned in the past to my newly invigorated motivation to grow and achieve a longtime goal of mine. I'm feeling hopeful, determined, and I just want to share how grateful I am for my wife and my privilege to have this opportunity to follow my dreams while not having to worry about bringing income in the door. My hope is to someday in the near future give her the same chance to take a long sabbatical from work while I tag in to provide for our family and whilst she takes time to explore her passions and goals outside of her current job. Thanks again for your consistently excellent content, the positivity you radiate throughout the community of listeners, and take some time to care for yourselves this weekend. Much love. Sean, a.k.a. Bean, nicknamed by my wife, it's kismet, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, Sean, that is the true... Like, I I absolutely, I just absolutely love that because, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of folks, and I'm not going to say men or women, but a lot of folks have a hard time with their spouses or significant others or partners having an uneven income or making more or less than them. And that can cause a lot of tension. But, you know, you've put it perfectly that, you know, this is a team. It's a long term thing. Uh, and I she supports me and everything that I'm doing and I'm going to I support her and everything she's doing and we're going to switch places someday and I hope to give her the same break I mean I just absolutely love yeah. your point of view here so thanks for sending that in yeah that is what a true partnership looks like mm-hmm. absolutely and I, I think I'm just madding, maddeningly jealous <laughs> <laughs> you can ask Jordan about my wonderful last partner <laughs> yeah you deserve way better um, that's for sure I have one more piece of good news uh, for you all. This last one is from Julie. PGP, she, her. She says, 
I work for a large international company with my team located in over a dozen countries. I am the only team member located in the U.S. During a recent Zoom call with several of my peers, someone asked me about my weekend plans. I shared that I was writing postcards to get people registered. Many questions followed, and we quickly pivoted to the topic of Trump. I was surprised to learn how up-to-date most of my team was on U.S. politics. Sometimes I think so U.S.-centric that I forget with what an impact Trump has on the world. I've shared the Daily Beans podcast with them, and now our weekly calls include at least 15 minutes of U.S. political discussions. Your informative insights mm. have helped people from Sweden to Australia to Malaysia. You are truly making a positive difference in the world. We are grateful for each of you. Thanks, Julie. Oh, my. Wow. Wow. Thank you. Yeah, but that's that is so uh, that's such a great idea. That, that was one of the things that they were talking about at the protest today is like, even if you don't find yourself personally, you know, able to donate a bunch of money on your own, if, you know, you're white, chances are you have a better... Uh, you have you're you're in a circle that is more likely to have people that have more expendable income like that, and so uh, they were just saying if if you're able to, you know, it's kind of your your duty as an accomplice in this fight to connect those resources. Yeah, you have more resources. You right. have more resources. Right. Mm-hmm. And 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 you're employing them totally, and that's exactly what Julie did. Awesome, Julie. Yeah, so cool. That's so great. That's I think. Yeah, hats off. Yeah. Um, I'm not wearing a hat, but if right. I were, hats off. I have to give a quick shout out to one of our listeners, actually, who sent me 300 bucks just through PayPal the other day to do a donation match on Twitter. So if you follow me on Twitter at Jordan's Confused, occasionally, you know, I'll, I'll get people that will donate money like that, like our listeners. And David, shout out. Thank you so much for doing that. And then when you do the dollar for dollar match, it's just like an easy way to double the money, basically. So if you're down to do something mm-hmm. like that, hit me up. And it's nice because, you know, we can use our followers of 12,000, which is, you know, uh, there, there are more followers, but it's good. It's good enough to get those dollars matched usually. So Thank you, Julie, for doing that and uh, reminding me to tell you all that if you want to get in on that, too, I would love to uh, be, be a part of, of that same thing that Julie did. Awesome. Yes, thank you so much for everything that you all are doing. It's really incredible. I can't wait to see y'all on Fridays or today's, depending on when you're listening to this episode, uh, our meet and greet, our quarantine Q&A uh, happy hour, and uh, I look forward to that as well. So... Uh, any final thoughts, Jordan? Final thoughts? Oh, no. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I should do it like Bernie, like, uh, final thoughts. Like, you know, where, you, where he scares people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. God, I fucking love him. Sorry. Socialism. <laughs> Jordan, you got any final thoughts? So oh. oh, my God. So uh, good. <laughs> Okay. Well, everybody, and we will see you shortly. Everyone, please uh, t- have a wonderful and safe holiday weekend. We'll, you know, we'll we'll be back. We're not taking any time off, but uh, and we'll see you Friday at the meet and greet. So please, until then, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. I've been Jordan Coburn. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com.